That was, uh, that was Trace Fit Kids, and if your kids weren't a part of that list last week, man, they missed out on that for sure. I guess you got to give a shout-out to Daisha, who is our kids director here, and all of the volunteers that helped coordinate that. Y'all did an awesome job. Pioneered that for the very first time. It was just an incredible event. So, well, good morning. So good to have you. You might be wondering why I'm wearing an eye patch. Uh, I just got to let you all know that this is what happens when Trace kids get fit right here, okay? Uh, no, just joking. It wasn't, uh, wasn't any of your kids that did this to me. And, and uh, contrary to popular belief, it wasn't my wife either. Guys, I've been married for 13 years. I, I've learned not to talk back to my wife, at, at least within arm's length away, all right? So I've I've, I've learned this, okay? She, she is a lefty, though. This would be an appropriate punch. But uh, just so you all know, this wasn't from any of that. This actually happened at a, a basketball league um, on uh, Monday night last week. Yeah, you got a picture, I see. All right, so uh, uh, on uh, Monday night, I was playing at Villa Sports. Uh, it's a championship game, two minutes left, and uh, I'm, I'm going up for a rebound, and this other guy's going up for a rebound, and he swats the ball and misses the ball, but connects with my brain via my eye socket. <laughs> with his finger and in his, in his palm. And, uh, and my eye immediately swelled up. You can see it's pretty bad. The swelling has gone down, uh, which is nice, but I'm, I'm seeing double right now. And so this patch helps me from uh, having to open up my eye and uh, see two of you. Uh, if I open up my eye right now like this, you kind of look like the mummy from that new Tom Cruise movie that's out. Have you all seen that? Yeah, that really freaky one. So uh, unfortunately, on top of getting my eye poked this past week, uh, I also broke my regular glasses, and so I've got these tinted glasses that I'm going to put on with my eyes shut, and so you all are just going to have to deal with a goofy-looking guy preaching at you for the next 30 minutes, okay? Now, truth, truth be told, truth be told, this is not much different than, uh, than every week that you have to listen to Aaron preach, so that's, yeah. <clears throat> except for the content, content's better, that's all, all right, so. Anyway, hey, I, I got a game I want to play with you here real quick. It's a, it's a name the tune game, and I just want to see how, and this is really weird, actually, <laughs> talking to you guys one night, but uh, this, uh, this is to see how like in tune you are with some pop culture kind of stuff. Uh, just one song, it's going to be actually a, a score to a movie, and, and what we're going to do is you're going to listen to the movie, and as soon as you know what movie it's from, I want you to shout it out loud at the top of your lungs what movie you think it is. Go ahead and play that, that score. Lord of the Rings, that's right. Let, let it play just for a minute here, guys. We're getting into like a holy place here for a second, so this is good. Ah, oh, I love Lord of the Rings. Anybody else out here a Lord of the Rings fan? Absolutely. Lord of the Rings is an awesome, awesome. It's probably my favorite movie series, okay? I, I love this. But if you know anything about the Lord of the Rings, you know that it doesn't start with Frodo Baggins, right? It actually starts, the story begins with a guy named Bilbo Baggins. Okay? In, in The Hobbit, and I actually, uh, this is a little known fact that you all can't take out of this room, okay? Um, but uh, a not so endearing name was given to me in college by my basketball buddies. They, they called me Bilbo. Uh, I don't know if it was because I have hairy feet or I was small, but it was with the name that they gave to me. And so, uh, so that was my college days. As a matter of fact, it was in my college days. My freshman year was when I was first exposed to the book called The Hobbit, which is the, the preceding book to the whole Lord of the, Re uh, Lord of the Rings series, Okay. And so um, I, I was getting ready to take an introductory level class called Acts of the Apostles, and my professor assigns this book to be read uh, before we get to class. And so this is my first introduction to The Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, all that kind of stuff. This is, is before the movie series came out. And so I'm reading this book, and I'm loving the book, but I have no clue what it has to do with the book of Acts until the very first day of class I get there. And my professor explains to us 
that he wants us to read the book of Acts in the same way that we just read The Hobbit. Now, not as a, a fictional novel, but a, as a narrative. You see, a, a good narrative has, has characters, good and bad and, and sometimes indifferent, some onlookers. Uh, it, has, it has a plot. It has fantastical events happening. And, but more important than anything, it, it has a direction. It has a journey. It has a place that it's taking you. And so he wanted us to read the book of Acts in the same way that we read The Hobbit as a narrative. And as we found out last week, Aaron talked to us. He said that actually uh, the, the book of Acts doesn't start with the apostles going out, the, the beginning of the church. It's actually preceded, much like the Lord of the Rings is by the Hobbit, it's preceded with the story of Jesus. And it just so happens that the same author, this guy named Luke, who was a physician, he records the story of the life of Jesus in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke as we know it. Okay? And that's like part one of this thing. And then he picks up the pen and he continues on, understanding that everything else that he's going to write is undergirded with the life of Jesus Christ. But he starts with the beginning of the church, and he calls it the Acts of the Apostles. And so then he starts writing this story, and it's a continuation of the narrative of what's going on. And one of the other things we learned last week, Aaron opened up chapter 1 and 2 of the book of Acts. And what we saw here is that the Holy Spirit came and, and took center stage. And, and it set this precedent that the rest of this book is going to be set on. Everything else that you see that happens in the book of Acts with these guys and these gals who are following after Jesus, it, it hinges on the Holy Spirit. And although he may be in the background, he is center stage throughout the rest of this book, as you'll see. And truth be told, he should still be the center stage of our churches today. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But today we're going to enter into the narrative. We're going to continue on with that. We're going to take a look at a story that takes place over the course of two chapters, chapter 3 and chapter 4 of the book of Acts. And so if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up. Uh, turn them on, flip them open, whatever you got to do to get to chapter 3. Uh, just to let you guys know, um, you're going to get more out of these conversations that we have on Sunday if you do your reading ahead of time. And so this week we're going to be looking at 3 and 4, but next week uh, read chapters 5 and 6 before you come because you're going to get more out of it. I, matter of fact, I would encourage you to do 5 and 6 every day for your, uh, for your D1 reading, and you're going to get a lot out of the, our conversation today. The other thing that you're going to find out is this is not an exegetical study through these books. We're not going to cover every single verse. What we're going to do is we're going to pull some mega themes out of these, uh, these chapters and talk about those in our time together. And so in our time together today, we're going to be looking at chapter 3, and we're going to continue with this narrative concept. We're going to look at some, some character exploration. We're going to look at these characters. And, and the best way to do this, any good novel, any good narrative, allows you to kind of put yourself in a character's position and to see from their eyes. And so that's what I'm going to ask you all to do today as we look at a couple of these characters. Some of them it'll be a little easier for, others it'll be a little harder for. But as we talk about some of these characters, try to put yourself in their shoes and see from their eyes because God might reveal something different to you that you might not have caught otherwise. All right, so chapter 3, verse 1, starts off with this. It says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. And as they approached the temple, a man... Lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Uh, let's just stop there for a moment, okay? The, the first character we're going to take a look at is the unsuspecting beggar. 
Now, this might be a character that's a little harder for you to identify with. And unless you yourself have, have, have come from a situation of being homeless for a while, or, or maybe you've had a, a chronic illness your entirety of your life, it might be hard to put yourself in this position. We probably more readily put ourselves in, in the positions of Peter and John in this situation, right? But, but just for a moment, uh, walk with me in his shoes for a moment. We don't know a whole lot about this unsuspecting beggar. Uh, he doesn't even have a name. He's just called the, the lame beggar. We don't know if he has family. Uh, all we know is that he's got a, a couple people who pick him up every day. And, and they take him from where he stays to, to where he goes to beg. And we can only assume that they come back at the end of the day and pick him up from there and, and, and put him back where he has some kind of shelter. Now, this guy was, was blind from birth. And the, the crux of his life, the fullness of his life is simply to go to this spot, to beg for enough money and food for the day, and to go home. And that's the cyclical life that he lives. Now, I would venture to say that somewhere in his life, there was a, a life-changing moment where he stopped dreaming about what possibly could be. And he started to succumb to the circumstances of his life and simply went along with them. In other words, he, he, he started being more concerned about his simple needs for his life, and he gave up the, the hopes and the desires and the dreams of his life. Now, I, I, I don't look poorly on this guy. This is just all that he knew. This is what he is instructed to do. But I have a feeling that you and I can actually relate with that sentiment a little bit more than we might even be able to his circumstance. Have, have you ever been there before where you kind of settled just for the needs of your life? And lost sight of the direction and the desires of your life? Uh, maybe, maybe at work right now, you're, you're kind of in a miserable situation. And you just go day in, day out, just to get the paycheck. And you've given up on your dreams and aspirations of what you want to do and be. It just, it's just a job. I'm just going there. Or, or maybe in your, in your home, you know, summer's here, your kids are annoying you all day. And all you can do is just get them fed and get them to bed and then like take a little breather. You're just done with them for the day. Or, or maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe, maybe you're in a spot in your marriage right now where a, a love is lost and you're just going through the motions and, and you're just surviving uh, this thing called marriage. But it's not where you want to be. It's not what you desire. It's not what you hope for. It's just what you need for today. I think we can, we can get to that place with this guy where we settle for what we need and not go after what we truly desire. You know, this week for me has been uh, a little bit of that situation, that scenario. Uh, getting, uh, getting jabbed in my eye uh, caused a lot of concern for me this week. Okay? I ended up going to the doctor eventually, but when it swelled up immediately, and I wasn't sure if any of you all had, had any kind of eye injuries, like the worst things go through your mind. Like, can I ever see again? Like, am I going to get back to normal? Can, you know, is, is this going to you know, end? Will my devil vision come back to single vision? And, and so all those things were going through my mind and, my, and the process is like, I, am I even going to be able to see again? And, uh, and at that point, my prayer life was simply, Lord, just, just let me see again. Get me back to normal, okay? What I was doing was I was praying. I was asking for the thing that I needed, not necessarily what I wanted or desired. And I'll explain what I mean here in a minute. But through this whole process, my wife, who's been wonderful uh, in taking care of me, and uh, she, she keeps asking me this question. She's like, what, what are you learning? What are you learning through this? Now, she's asked me that multiple times, so I'm half tempted just to ask her, what am I, what am I learning, you know? But, but as I started to process through that a little bit further, I, I started to realize um, I am learning some things through this. One, I'm learning how grateful I am. 
I'm grateful for the way in which I've actually been able to see up until this point, the vision that I've had, uh, the regular functions that I have that I don't have to worry about day to day. I'm grateful for the people that I have in my life that are willing to, to take care of me and step in. Uh, Joy and Carl Adams were there that night, and, and they stepped in and helped me, brought me home, brought my, my car home, checked on me, all that kind of stuff. I'm thankful and grateful for my wife who, who uh, amidst having three kids and illnesses of her own, she was willing to just take care of me this week. I, it caused me to pause and remember how grateful I am for things. But it also helped me to, to, to step into somebody else's shoes for a minute and be a little more compassionate. I gotta be honest with you, that's not something that comes really natural to me. That's a supernatural thing uh, when it does occur in my life. I, I kind of have uh, uh, the mentality of just, just suck it up, get through it, you know? Um, but when you have situations like this happen to you, you can't help but gain a little bit more compassion and understanding for other people who have uh, illnesses and injuries uh, that, that constantly plague them, and things that disrupt their lives. Something that we struggle with in our family is, is mental illness, and, and, and we'll have stretches of times where everything is just fine and perfectly normal, and then we'll have stretches where things are all out of whack, and it just disrupts everything. It's so frustrating, and I got to feel that this week. It's so frustrating, and it causes you to be a little bit more compassionate towards others in those situations. But probably the, the thing that, that hit me the most, uh, and honestly, it, it occurred because I was reading through those passages this week, is because I, I put myself in the in the position of the unsuspecting beggar. The, the thing that hit me the most was the things I was praying and asking God for. You see, all I could ask God for at this moment was, God, will you please restore my vision? Bring me back to normal. But when I started asking him, what do you want me to pray for? What is it that you can do? Not just necessarily what you will do. What is my heart's desire in this? Not just my need. I started to pray a prayer like this. And I, I got to tell you, I, I, see, I, I honestly wrestled with whether or not I believed this and I thought it was true. But I've come to that conclusion. It is. And I truly desire that, that God would restore my sight so that I can see again. But even if he doesn't, my prayer has been, Lord, help me see people like you see people. You see, oftentimes when I got two eyes and I can see perfectly fine, I'm on a mission. And I'm getting one place to the next place. And I don't stop. I don't stop to see people the way that God wants me to see people, to interact and to talk with them. Even though I can't even see them physically as well as I could with two eyes, it makes me stop and actually hear the story and understand what they're going through. That's actually something you'll hear us say a lot here because it's part of our mission. We want to help people see people again. And sometimes it takes situations like what I experienced this past week to even get to a point where I can do that. So Lord... Even if I don't see again, if you don't restore my vision the way that I would want it to be restored, my heart's desire is to see people the way that you see them. See, the case of the unsuspecting beggar is that he was settling for loose change. He, he just wanted what people could offer him to be able to get through the day. He settled for loose change whenever he could have experienced life change. And that's actually what we get to see in this next part of the narrative. Let's go to the, the next character. We're going to take a look at the empowered apostles, the empowered, empowered apostles. Apostles, by the way, is just a, a name for the guys that were directly around Jesus, the, the, the disciples that came in that were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They were given kind of the name of apostles to be sent out. Uh, and we have Peter and John, which are two of the guys that had spent time with Jesus. And, and here they are in verse uh, 4, chapter 3. Peter and John looked at him. This is the unsuspecting beggar intently. And Peter said... Look at us. 
Now, just, just for a moment, <clears throat> uh, go with me here on this. Uh, we live in Colorado Springs, uh, a very highly uh, uh, high population of homelessness here in this area. I don't know if you all have experienced this before. I personally have. Um, but I, I, have, I have driven past people and I've walked past people that I've intentionally not locked eyes with. You know why? Because I, 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 I didn't want to acknowledge them. Because if I look them in the eye, it means that there is some kind of obligation that I have to that person because that makes them a person that humanizes them. And when I don't look them in the eye, it dehumanizes them. And maybe you've even instructed your kids in that. It's like, hey, just don't look them in the eye. You see what we do there. But, but oftentimes, I've also I've, I've met somebody in their point of need. And I've had a conversation with them. And, and, and I've noticed that they can't even look me in the eye. Even when I've tried with them, they, they won't even look me in the eye because of the shame and the humiliation that comes along with that. And that's exactly what's happening here. Peter and John are looking at this guy and, and they're telling him, hey, you don't need to have shame. You don't need to have humiliation. We see you. And we see you as a child of God, not some beggar who's looking for money from us. So look at us. And then they continue on. The, the lame man looked at them eagerly because he was expecting some money from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. You see, Peter and John, they were followers of Jesus. They literally didn't have a penny to their name. They, they left their jobs, their occupations three years ago to follow this guy Jesus everywhere. And they watched him and they saw what he did. And then after he died and resurrected, they were sent out. And so now they're going, spending their full time going out and telling other people they don't have anything tangible financially to be able to offer this guy. This is not a cop-out. They just don't have it in, in their pockets. They don't have anything to him. But they do have something. They have something that's given that's much greater value. Something that this guy actually needs more than what he thinks that he needs. And it's that thing that they offer them. In other translations it says, uh, silver nor gold do I have, but what I do have I offer you. See, I, I, I think in this, this small passage, in this, this story, there is a question that, that hinges in the statement those disciples make. That is something we've got to wrestle with this morning and in every day of our life. And that's this question. What do we have to offer others. What do we have in our possession to be able to give to others? The fact of the matter is, it's something much greater and much more powerful than what you can even think or imagine. And it's something that we need to get in touch with. I, I want to I tell you a story real quick of a guy named Agnes. Uh, he's, he's, uh, he's a guy who lived during the apartheid in South Africa. And uh, there's actually a, a movie that was, uh, was made about him. This is, this is the guy, Agnes Buchan. And uh, it was, it's called Faith Like Potatoes. And that's a terrible movie title. And it's really bad acting. But the, the story itself, uh, the story itself is, is incredibly compelling. Uh, and here's why. This ordinary farmer, okay, comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And he starts to learn how to listen to the Spirit. And, and among other things, he tells them to plant potatoes. And that's what the whole movie is about. But there's this, there's this moment in this scene that happens where um, there's bad thunderstorm that happens in the midst of, of their village. And, and, and one of the houses gets struck with lightning. And one of the, one of the ladies in that village dies. And, and some of the villagers come over to him because they know that he's a man of faith. And they ask him to come and to pray over them. And, and when he gets there, they're mourning the death 
of this woman. And Agnes gets there, and he's just a, he's a potato farmer. He doesn't know what to do. And he asks the Lord what he should pray, and he gets down on his knees, and, and the Spirit of God gives him these words, and he tells him, Sister, get up. And as he, as he whispers these words to this woman, the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon her, and she gets up. She arises from death, and all of the village is amazed. Now, guys, why do I tell you this story? It's not because I think that God is going to use you to raise people from the dead, okay? But here's the deal. The Holy Spirit's done that before. Do you understand the power that resides in the Holy Spirit? Not just in the time of, of Jesus, not just in the time of, of the Acts of the Apostles with these guys doing some miraculous things, but in our time. And I could tell you hundreds of stories just like that all across the globe, in our country and outside of our country, of the Holy Spirit doing some amazing things, healing people instantaneously, miraculously freeing people from, from prison, causing uh, uh, um, these visions to come down from heaven and, and whole groups of Muslims coming to faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the power of the Holy Spirit remains. And that's something that we need to understand these apostles were mere men. It tells us later on in this same chapter, they're just ordinary guys, unschooled dudes, fishermen that happened to be with Jesus and receive the Spirit of God. And because of that, the Spirit is not only a comforter like Aaron talked about last week. He's, he's, he's not only an advocate for us. He's also the thing that empowers us to do amazing things. Big, huge, amazing things. Even like raising the dead. Now, here's what I can tell you. I, I don't know if God chooses to do something big and miraculous through you with the Holy Spirit in you. I, I don't know that. But this is what I know. Even the smallest things that we do through the leading of the Spirit causes other people to be utterly astounded and amazed. Even the smallest things that we do when we listen to the Spirit causes other people to be amazed and it draws their attention. And see, that's part of our mission here at Trace. We want to leave traces of God's love everywhere we go. Big traces and little traces alike draw people to Jesus. And so when we think about what the Spirit wants us to do, most often, at least it has been the case in my life, most often it has been the small little things that he's told me to do that causes the biggest impact in other people's lives. I've heard of, I've heard of people who were going to go and take their life on the same day that, that they got a call from a friend. And that call came because of a prompting of the Holy Spirit who said, you know what, check on this person. And they listened. They listened to the Spirit because they checked on them, because they made a simple call that preserved that person's life. Maybe, maybe it's inviting somebody over to dinner and just getting to know them a little bit. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's recognizing somebody came in new from out of town and they don't know anybody and you just showed kindness by befriending them. Maybe, maybe you saw a person in need and you, you gave them something tangible. You met their need physically. Guys, those whispers of the Spirit, those utterances, when we listen to them, as small as they might be, have an amazing effect in the lives of other people. No matter how big or how small that happens to be. And guys, that's exactly what we see happening in this story. 
All the people who are watching these events happen and they see Peter and they see John and they see this guy that they know who sits at this place every week. They see him rise up and he's no longer lame. You know what happens? Their attentions come on to Paul and to Peter and to John. And they, they, and they go, what do you have? Because whatever it is that you have, we want. And so what, what you see happen is, is you see these other characters play. We don't have enough time to talk about them, but you see these onlookers and you put yourself in the crowd watching these things happen, you'd do the same thing. You'd be drawn to them. But then we see Peter and John, what they do is they deflect the glory to Jesus because that's what happens whenever God uses us to do amazing things. What we do is we turn that and we say, it's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. Not because of me. I'm just, I, I'm just an unworthy servant. I'm just the one opening my mouth. I'm the one putting my hand out. That's all I'm doing. I'm just doing what he's told me to do in the first place. And we point the glory back to Jesus and people come to him. I could also, I could tell you about the antagonistic leaders. This very same leaders who, who persecuted Jesus, who put him to death, are thinking, why in the world is this miraculous stuff still happening? I thought we killed that guy a while back. And they hear guys like Peter and John say, you want to know why, by what power we did this? It was by the power of the name of Jesus that this guy stands before you today. And they can't do anything about it. All that they can do is tell these guys to shut up. And Peter and John go, we can't. Did you see what happened? All we can do, we can't help but tell other people about what we've seen and heard Jesus do. That's all we can do is, is just tell people what we've seen and heard. We can't help but share the experiences. And, and that's all evangelism is, guys. It's sharing the experiences that you've had with Jesus. It's telling other people the things that you've seen and, and heard. And some of us find that very difficult might be because you've not spent a whole lot of time with Jesus. I don't mean that to be derogatory. I'm just telling you, sharing your faith with other people is just as easy as telling them what you've seen and heard Jesus do. That's it. And that's what's happening right here and right now. And these guys make that statement. I can't help but tell what I've seen and heard. But the last character I want, I want you to put yourself in their shoes is the inspired believers. You see, people were seeing this stuff happen. 5,000 actually come into the count of the Christians this day. At the beginning of the church, this thing is just moving on because people see these miraculous signs. They see the power and the boldness of which these, these Christians, these ordinary people, are sharing the good news of Jesus about. And they're coming to faith in Jesus. And we have some of these people who have already established that they are following Jesus. And they're seeing these things happen. And you know what happens? They're inspired. They're inspired. inspired. They're motivated. Because they see that it's real, that it's authentic. It's not some kind of magical trick. It's something that has power behind it. And that's what the church has. The church has power. And sometimes we don't know the extent of that power. We don't tap into that power. And so these believers, they come together and they pray. And they thank God for so many things. But this is the prayer they pray. Listen, guys, it says, now, Lord... Enable your servants, that's us, enable us, Lord, to speak your word with great boldness. The same way that we just saw these other guys do. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through your holy servant Jesus. Not for our glory, not for the attention to come on us, not so that our church can grow, but so that your name can be famous. So other people can know who you are. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. Guys, I think, we, I think we need to wrestle with the words that were spoken earlier. What do we have to offer? But I think we also need to wrestle with this. 
The same spirit, guys, don't miss this, the same spirit that Jesus had that he breathed onto his disciples when he said, peace out, I'm gone, I'm leaving you something, and when I go, he is going to empower you. That same spirit it was upon those apostles that these inspired believers during that time of the beginning of the church they received is the same exact spirit who's made available to you right here today. He's the same spirit that many of you guys have already received in your life. And he has the same power and potential, all for the purpose of being able to draw people to Jesus. So I think we got to ask hard question over this series as we see these guys do some amazing things the question is is are we seeing God do those same kind of amazing things through us and it might not look exactly the same as what we're seeing in the pages of this narrative but they're fantastic nonetheless when we understand the power that the spirit has in our life and we listen to him and we act upon that then we will see life change we will see life change And so my prayer for you guys, my prayer for myself, is the same that these guys prayed in the book of Acts. And I'm just going to pray it over you right now. If you'll just, you close your eyes and receive this prayer in for a moment. And I'm going to ask Aaron then to come up and lead us in the response. Here's our prayer. Lord, we ask that your spirit would rest heavy on us, not lightly. Father, that that you would cause us to understand that we are not Christians merely by faith, but by power and demonstration of that faith. Father, we don't desire to be a church that shows up on Sundays and learns about you. We want to be a church that demonstrates the very example of the things that you have done. And that listens to your spirit and does even greater things. That's what you tell us. And so, Father, enable your servants, that is us, to speak your words with great boldness. So stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And it's his powerful name we pray. Amen.